0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jorah, and I'll be joined tonight uh, by the Roto Man, Peter Kreitzer. Peter, uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Well, we have some uh, big news in Mets land, and uh, that's, uh, they finally made a deal, and uh, they sent Jay Bruce to the Cleveland Indians for a low-round uh, a low round, uh 2016 draft pick uh, a relief pitcher named Ryder Ryan Uh, just wondering if you had uh, any thoughts about uh, the Mets uh, actually pulling the trigger and sending Bruce out of town
0: well I I thought it was inevitable it was going to happen Um, I'm not sure about the payback but it seems more like taking money off just saving a little bit of money on the downside of a season that is mostly all downside so um not surprising that he's gone he was he, he was the guy i thought was going to go at some point and um and uh the return at at this point it's either you get a player back or you or you save some money and in this case they seem to save some money and who knows young you know young pitchers could become different things usually not though
1: Uh, Just looking at uh, Ryan's baseball reference page and it looks like he was drafted by the Indians in 2014, but chose to go to college instead. And then the Indians again, drafted him in 2016, uh, 30th round. Uh, He's been in 33 games, 41.1 innings pitched and has 49 strikeouts. So he at least has one thing going for him. He can, uh, he can fill up the strikeout column. So I guess, uh, the best thing that we can say about him is he's uh, another uh, bullpen depth arm for the system. And you acquire twenty of those guys, and maybe one of them works out.
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting that a guy like that, who the Indians obviously have some kind of thoughts about, that they'd be sending him to a team that you know didn't take him in the twenty ninth round. It's uh, <laughs> those are those are sorts of the sort of guys you would think they would hold on to, and they would get rid of, you know. Somebody that the Mets coveted more, but anyway, I don't know enough about them to have any judgment about that. It's, uh, it's salary clearing is is the key part of the story here, and um, and Cleveland can use Jay Bruce, so that's a that's a happy thing for them.
1: Well, Jay Bruce, you know, when the Mets acquired him last year,
0: they had high
1: hopes for him. He had kind of a a dismal year after the Mets acquired him at the the trade deadline last year. But he came through and and had a solid season and and seemed to be a real stand-up guy. And I don't think uh, any uh, Mets fans are are unhappy with uh, what Jay Bruce gave him this year, and I think we all wish him well but uh, let's uh let's move on and uh you know the Mets had an afternoon game today and and for the uh 11th time in their last 12 day games they they lost now uh is this a random statistical blip or or do you think that there's a little something more at play here
0: well i don't anytime a team a major league team loses Eleven out of twelve games. There's some kind of randomness there. That's there's no major league team that's so bad, no matter what the circumstance is, that they're going to lose eighteen um, percent of their games. That's that's just not that. So that is blip. That's a total blip. The the question about the difference between day games and night games, though, is an interesting one, and I've never seen it really answered satisfactorily. Um, there are there's so many variables in it there's it, it you're always dealing with small samples you're dealing with different um schedules different opponents different um times of the year the uh, you know the most constant day th- day game thing is the cubs and they're and they're actually good now so that's that's like one thing or they were bad before in which case if you played them um all of those things just add up to a lot of statistical noise um so I'm not sure that this means anything in terms of the Mets. They were like before this run; they were close to 500 in day games and 500 in night games, and now they are most close to 500 in day ga- in night games and and not at all close in day games. So, um, I, I don't think this really means anything particular, except that they hit a really bad streak during during games that started during the day. Um, I don't think that's the sort of thing they should be worried about. They, they've they given up a bunch of talent. They're not going to be as good the rest of the way. They've been a 45% win team so far. They're not going to be that good the rest of the way, but, you know, it it, it also doesn't really matter at this point.
1: One thing, you know, just as a fan watching these games, it seems like a lot of times in these day games, the, the players just aren't there mentally. And I, I know that's a tough thing to to divine through watching on television, but it just seems going through the motions disinterested and all things that you wouldn't necessarily see from the same team during a night game. And a few of these uh, games have, uh, these day games have been Sunday games when they've been up uh, and won the first two games of the season, of the series, and then get spanked in the third game, in a day game. And, I mean, I, my first inclination is that, yes, it's nothing but a random statistical thing, but then watching it over and over again and seeing the seeing spirited play uh, just makes me wonder if, if maybe possibly they just, you know, they they didn't get to bed early enough or or some silly such thing as that. Um, do, you, do you think that there's anything that... Uh, uh, could be done from the managerial office to try to uh, make sure that his uh, players are are ready to play a day game. Does he need to have a bed check or something like that?
0: <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know if teams have, do any teams have bed checks anymore. That was a you know a staple of of uh, management in the in the '60s and into the '70s. But um, I think you know once guys start making twenty million dollars a year, it's kind of hard to. Uh, to say, hey, you've got to go to bed on time. Um, the I, travel, you know, when you talk to players about the hardest thing about the game, the the travel, the day night um, conversion. Like you play a game till one o'clock in the morning, and then you have to play a day game the next day because you have a travel. You have to travel after that game. Um, those those conversions are are definitely wearing on players and taxing and. When you're a player on a you know team that is not going well and has really is just I, I won't I mean I'm not going to say playing out the string but they're not playing with a, you know a passion to become champions they know that's not going to happen um, I can see how there can be a letdown in that situation um, they and they've also you know in the in these last couple of weeks they've given up some players some quality players and not gotten. Much back for them because they're you know looking at the future. Um, I I think from a um, incentive point of view, if if they're not performing because they're they're dull and um, and disinterested, that is something that somebody has to talk to, especially young players about. um, In not in terms of bed checks, but in terms of like it's your pride and image that's out there on the field, and you should look interested even if you feel crummy um but if but other than that i think it's really um i i guess i think that teams that aren't going well that are going to lose are are you know more inclined to not be fired up by the passion for winning and and that that could be a, a, a that could be something that contributes here
1: my favorite line about bed checks was uh, back in 1983 in the college uh, basketball championship. North Carolina State's uh, coach Jim Valvano was asked if he had a bed check, and he said, "I did, and all the beds were there." So, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's get back to baseball instead of college basketball. Let's talk about Mets rookie Chris Flexen. They they rather unexpectedly called him up, and his first two starts he got knocked out after just three innings. And, you know, it's always poor pitching. But in addition to that, it seemed like he was getting squeezed by the umpires. According to graphs at TexasLeaguers.com, flexing through 29 pitches in the strike zone that were called either a ball or a strike by the umps that were in the strike zone, according to Texas uh, Leaguers. And 10 of those 29 were called balls. How unusual does that feel to you? And where do you stand on the possibility of instituting robot umps to computerize the strike zone?
0: So the thing I know is that the umps get it wrong on balls that are not swung at, on pitches that are not swung at, the umps get it wrong about 15% of the time. So in Flexen's case, sorry, Flex in case, they seem to have gotten it wrong about 30% of the time. So that's twice as often as usual, which is not good, and, and especially not good because you're um, you, you getting any time this the count changes, you add a ball, your leverage as a pitcher diminishes hugely. Um, but there are some there are mitigating reasons why umps might get it wrong. Um sometimes they just miss, which happens, but a lot of the time it's like the they make the socially correct call like if you go three and O you get the easy strike or if you get o and two you get the easy ball and um and so i I don't I didn't look at it closely enough to know if that affected in Flexen's case it's not it's only nine pitches, so it's not um if that came up a couple times that could Quickly change the situation um the other is that the other issue is that um umps learn how pitchers pitch and they end up making calls based on what they expect from a pitcher, so a young pitcher who comes up and does something um has an unusual motion or a different approach or um, is just a little bit uh seem, doesn't seem quite collected. They might not get the benefit of the down on calls. I was looking at the um, heat chart on the on those pitches. They're all the ones that were called wrong, or you know, near the edge. They're so it's those are judgment calls. I, I'm I'm making air quotes in my in my office here, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, they could, it could go either way. If a bunch of them go wrong the same way, that's what seems to have happened here. Um, that can have a big effect on Flexen's performance. He seems like a really talented guy, and um, you know not a flamethrower but he seems like a a solid solid pitcher but he's very inexperienced he's only um got a few innings in in double a at this point um with success but he's stepping up in in grade here a lot um I, I you know it's 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 really hard to unpack how much that has had the impact on him and how much it's just He's got to adjust in other a million other ways to be successful in the major leagues. What I will say, because you asked, robo ump's having the strike zone called uniformly is got to be the goal of major league baseball. It's got to be having the strike zone called correctly and accurately all the time. The problem is that as easy as that looks when you you know when you watch the cyclops on a make tennis calls in a baseball game the timing of everything is much more um difficult the umpire has to decide right away there's no you know there's no 5 seconds for the replay for the graphic to draw where the ball has gone and that is a confounding factor and i think for the time being we're going to be stuck with umps who seem to be doing better jobs because they get the feedback from pitch effects um and they're doing a better job but they still make mistakes.
1: Well, I had, I was unaware of the 15%. So thanks for bringing that knowledge to me. Uh, so it, it does seem like it was not just uh, a bad call or two. It seemed like he was maybe getting the, the raw end of the deal for whatever reason it may have been. But interestingly in his third start, which happened just the other day, he went, I think it was five and two thirds innings and looked at the chart. And I think it was 19 uh called in in the zone and i think they got 17 of them were strikes so he had a much better percentage and was able to go further in the game and and still that he had those pitches that that you mentioned that were on the edges but for the most part it seemed like the the umpires call were agreeing with uh whatever algorithm that texas leaguers use so um Getting more strikes is certainly going to help every pitcher. And and uh, the second part of the the second part of the equation, I, I agree with you completely. I think that as soon as we have the ability to to uh, institute a better system, computer system than than what we have in the, with the live umps, that we need to do it immediately, if not sooner. But understanding that it's a huge technological challenge.
0: We have you know the interesting thing about that is that. We have this great disconnect we we all knew the umpires got stuff wrong. The umpires w you know the umpire strikes back is full of umpi what's his name i'm 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 blanking on his name, but him talking ron about luciano uh, yeah ron Luciano talking about getting it wrong um we all knew that was happening, but because we now have such excellent video and we and we have pitch effects. We and we get to see exactly what the impact of those wrong calls are, and those and how they shape innings. They shape at bats. They shape innings. They lead to runs. They they rob runs, and that is making a huge difference in the game. And and there's no there's no escaping that at this point. It's really um, it's figuring out how to make it so that um, the strike zone can be called uniformly, and and we don't have those. Um, those issues in the going forward but that's not that's not an easy thing to solve.
1: Well, let's move on. You know, here in 2017 it's impossible to major league baseball and and not talk about the homer explosion that we've witnessed even if it's been trending this way for much longer than just this year. Do you in your opinion is this something that uh, major league baseball should look to legislate to lessen the impact and if so, how would they do go about doing that?
0: um the homer the the homer thing and the strike zone and the and the strikeout peaks are are an amazing story cuz they obviously in in some ways they fly against each other like the hitters are hitting the ball less but they're hitting it farther and um and and that's that's a fantastic story for baseball to try and figure out how why that's happening a lot of evidence seems to show right now that it 's happening because the balls are which baseball says are manufactured within the standards are adding up to fifty feet on on a on a fly ball which can um, because of the the height of the seams and because of the the weight of the ball and the flex reflexiveness of the um, the ball itself balls that are within the standard can can Vary by as much as 50 feet on a on a fly ball. That's like that's not acceptable. That shouldn't be acceptable for the major leagues because it just adds all kinds of suspicion about juicing the ball, not juicing the ball. It it as much as I hated when during the the PEDs talks about the sanctity of the records. It having that much variability really does affect the the records in ways that. Um, it seem kind of needless. Like it seems at this point, we should be able to have a ball that is has uniform seam heights, has uniform um, bounciness, has that those things should be not so not so variable. And I I think baseball needs to focus on figuring out how to do that. Um, this whole thing seems to have corresponded to a. Um, to uh, the changes in production methods at this Rawlings factory in Costa Rica. I I don't know I don't know if anybody knows enough to say that's what the cause is a lot of people stopped working there who were working on making baseballs at that time. Um and and we now have this incredible explosion of home runs not so much by like the massive home run hitters but by you know the Brad Millers of the world not this year but like that that stuff is is um is just odd. Anyway, I'm not sure what other options Major League Baseball has. They could change the strike zone. That would be something, but it's not clear what like if you change it up or you change it down or you make it narrower or whatever. All of those things seem like um seem like shots in the dark. Maybe maybe that would um help the balance the you know the most effective helping the balance rule change I remember is lowering the strike zone, lowering the pitching mound in um in the 60s but that's obvious so you know is raising the strike zone here raising the pitching mound uh answer I don't I don't know all of those things none of them to me make stand up and say I'm the solution um and then, of course, I'm I'm not sure that this is really a huge problem. The imbalances come and go. Like maybe the pitchers have to say, you know, we have to change speeds more. We have to do things differently. We have to um, keep these guys off balance in ways that we haven't been so far. I think for sure part of the problem is that um, the, uni- the unifying of the strike zone in a way that um, because of pitch effects – the making the strike zone more definite and having the umpires call a more rigid strike zone definitely makes it, it takes away the creative ways that pitchers used to get hitters out guys like, um, Tom Glavin, you know, had a strike zone that seemed like twice as wide as the, as home plate. And, and that, and he and the umpires would admit that he worked the umpires to get those, those calls. He worked his breaking pitches to get those calls. Um, that isn't an option now because at the end of the game those umpires get the same pitch effects chart that we can see and they can say and they're and they're told don't call that anymore, don't call that one and um and that means that the hitters don't have to worry so much about in and out. They just have to worry about up and down. Um all of which is to say there isn't a easy solution. Baseball usually corrects for itself. Um and uh and uh, and you know we all like home runs too, so I'm not I'm not aghast at the whole thing. I think it's an amazing phenomenon, though. Um, I was it came about And it was completely unexpected.
1: I like to divide the strike zone into a, a three by three grid, and it seems to me that and especially with the Mets this year, that they're getting in so much trouble whenever they throw that ball in that middle third. And they they leave too many pitches that are just middle, middle. And in this age, when everybody is looking to add loft to their swing, you just can't throw a, a, an 89-mile-per-hour fastball right down the middle of the plate. And my preference is to see more pitchers work upstairs, but that upstairs has to be upstairs. You can't miss belly button high. It's got to be letter high. And I think that if if pitchers will throw that letter high pitch on a regular basis, that they'll go a long ways in counteracting this uh, home run barrage that we've seen so far this year.
0: Yeah, the problem is just if you if you get up in there and you miss, it's uh, if you don't have that you know that that so-called uh, making the air quotes again rising heater, um, you and you and you miss by a little bit, then all of a sudden it's a batting practice um, pitch and and you're uh, you're exposed. But um, but I I agree. You have to, these guys have to use the up and down in the strike zone rather than the left and the right because um, there there's a fantastic um, quote. I read today from Joey Votto talking about how um, you know he used to have to protect away um, because pitchers would get those the pitch off the edge of the plate and he would he would hit those the other way and and accept a single or something you know a, a little line drive or a blooper or something going that way um, and that now those pitches aren't called for strikes anymore so he can just look inside on the lower lower inside. Part of the plate, and when the pitch is in there, it's just like he's grooved, and those he's got 30 home runs already, and um, you know all of a sudden isn't the the sort of punch and Judy walk guy that he was for a few years there. Um, that, when he describes that change, it's it's hard not to uh, believe him because he's living it. We need more
1: players who bring the same approach to the game that Joey Votto does. He has such an intellectual approach to the game, and he's willing to take on all kinds of information from all different areas, and and I think it shows in in what a fantastic player that he is. But I want to talk just a little bit more about this, how do we combat the home runs. Like you said, you don't think it's necessarily a problem. Uh, I enjoy the home runs, too. But uh, I, I do think that when your pitching staff is giving up four and five and six home runs a game, that it is somewhat of an issue. And specifically with the Mets, unfortunately, we've seen that quite a bit this year. So my question to you is twice since they built City Field for the 2009, 2000, yeah, 2009 season, twice they've already moved the fences in. Should the Mets consider moving the fences back?
0: I, sure. I mean, I, I think teams build their stadiums, um, and and they and they mess with the dimensions for one reason or another, and and uh, that's their prerogative. One of the it's one of the aspects of baseball that that's fun. It's um, challenging. Every park is different. The teams are shaped to take advantage of their home fields, and the. Home fields are shaped to take advantage of the teams, and that that's a good thing. That like that keeps us constantly talking about the makeup of the team and the makeup of the of the ballpark. And um, if if uh, if the Mets think it can help them, help their team, help their pitching, you know, they're, they're what would appear to be an an excellent pitching staff if if healthy. Um, if they if that they think that could help them, I think that's um within certainly within their rights to do it and uh and it's an it's an option for them I'm not sure you know ultimately I'm not sure since you play in um many other ballparks every year which have different dimensions, I'm not sure how much real advantage you get over um having tailoring your team totally to your home park but um but it's something that definitely has to be considered and and dealt with. I mean I mean considered dealt with considered and and it has to be um acted on really.
1: All right. Um as long as we're uh, talking specifically about the Mets, let me throw one more question out there for you and it it seems to me a safe bet that the Mets have the oldest uh general manager manager combo in the game today. Do you think that hurts them in any way?
0: So, so um i i i have a hard time making like broad judgments about those guys i you know i think alderson is a has been a has had a fantastic career um i he seemed to have made some excellent decisions for the mets and uh you know some not so not perfect ones but um but i you know i think he's overall a talented guy um, on the other hand like I thought he should have fired I, I didn't think he should have hired Terry Collins and I really think he shouldn't <laughs> have extended him after the World Series loss for all the obvious reasons that have been talked about endlessly um, in any case they're both really old and it seems like this is and their contracts are up and it seems like this is a good time to like totally change the change the game so I I I have a hard time blaming Alderson. I have an easy time blaming Collins, but whatever. It's uh, that's just, you know, fan talk. Um it seems like it's a good time to change and they should.
1: Okay. Well, uh, we are quickly running out of time. I want to get to uh, one uh, recurring segment that we have on the show, and that's where we make a crazy prediction. I'll start, and I'll ask you to give a comment on my crazy prediction and then give me one of your own. So my crazy prediction is that neither of the top two clubs in the National League, the Dodgers or the Nationals, will make the NLCS this year. How crazy is that?
0: You know the Dodgers. The Dodgers are on such a run. I, it's impossible for me to imagine them losing. But uh, they're you know they're going to get they're going to get Kershaw back. So that that is just like that is crazy. That's crazy. But they're short series. So um, you know I think that could it could certainly happen. It, it wouldn't um, it wouldn't be totally surprising. My crazy thing. My crazy prediction is that. Um, Mike Trout leads the AL in war right now, despite having missed almost 40 games at this point in the season. And if he stays healthy, he's going to continue to produce. He's Mike Trout. So um, my prediction is, my crazy prediction is he's not going to win the MVP again. Um, I'm not sure that's crazy enough, but that would be, uh, that would be in, in keeping with his story.
1: Yeah, it's kind of uh uh, crazy to to look at the the baseball reference or the Fangraphs pages and see the seasons and the and the WAR totals that Trout has put up, and then just, nope, he didn't win that year. Nope, he didn't win that year. I mean, it, it's the only other person who can say that is Barry Bonds, and in Bonds' case, I think the writers were just tired of voting for him, and Trout doesn't really have that that excuse or that that mark against him, if you will.
0: No, he has he has the mark of you know pay, playing for a, a poor team. For a, for a bad team, and that that definitely hurts. But my other crazy would be like I think that the Astros and the Red Sox are definitely the best teams in the American League um, by record for sure, and I think it, they have as as good a chance of not making the ALCS as the as the Dodgers and the Nationals have of not making the NLCS. So it's that would be my um, my reciprocal crazy prediction.
1: Well, we are all out of time. Peter, I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. And before we let you go, I just wanted to see if there was anything that you wanted to, to plug for the listeners out there.
0: Hey, I I um, show up at Pattonandco.com um, fairly regularly all season long. It's a great place for baseball fans to come and talk about players. It's uh, P-A-T-T-O-N-A-N-D-C-O.com. Um, it's really a terrific place. Check it out.
1: All right. Well, there you go, Patton and Co. Peter, thanks so much for joining us,
0: and uh, thanks, everyone, for
1: listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday night at 11 o'clock. Good night, everyone.
0: Thanks for having me, Brian.